Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker, host and creator of the Bible in Life, which includes not only this podcast, but also includes the listener's commentary, which if you're studying through Philippians or currently I'm working through Titus or 1 Timothy or 1 Corinthians, or I've got about 20, 21 of the New Testament books done, handful more to go. But on the listener's commentary, I just teach straight through those Bible books. So that's included in the whole Bible in Life online ministry. We've got some online courses as well as a free ebook on my website, johnwhitaker.net. That uh, website just got a facelift, and so it's organized a little bit differently, but you can still see right there, there is a free ebook called Bible in Life as well that you can sign up for. All of this is aimed at really trying to help you and I live as disciples of Jesus intentionally, thoughtfully, devotedly, rooted in Jesus' wisdom found in the scriptures. And then living that out in the context of our everyday life, I frequently call that blue jeans theology. In fact, that's the title of my newsletter. So if you uh, sign up for that free ebook on my website, you'll get added to my email list. And I typically send out a newsletter once a month with things I'm working on, reflecting on, uh, sometimes updates on specific projects or things with, related to the ministry. So all of this is aimed at helping you and I walk with Jesus and live for him right in the midst of our everyday life. And so that's the goal. That's what we're after. And I hope that it is super encouraging and super helpful to you as you seek to follow Jesus in your own life. And over the last handful of weeks, we've just been walking through a few little snapshots out of uh, the book of Acts and offering just sort of some summaries of those snapshots with some reflections on some things we learn about following Jesus and about who God is and what following Jesus entails. And and uh, this episode will be the last one in that series. And I want to actually look through a handful of chapters at the end of Acts. Uh, well, really from Acts 19 all the way up through the, the next several chapters. And I want to reflect on the topic of, or the theme of, God's sovereignty. If you study, say, the doctrine of God, you read a book on the nature and character of God, it's not uncommon to talk about the sovereignty of God, meaning that he's king, he's in charge, he you know, providentially arranges things, and he's in control of things in the world. And that's true at sort of a big, broad, global level where God is constantly working and arranging and moving parts and pieces around to achieve his purposes. But it's also true a little more personally and individually and intimately in the details of our life. So when we entrust our life to God, God sovereignly leads and shepherds and cares for our life, um, for our good and for his glory. And those two often don't work out the way necessarily we always think. But as is frequently said, hindsight is twenty twenty, and we can look back at the details of our life and we can see how God's hand was involved in it. Well, towards the end of the book of Acts, we get an example of how this sort of mysterious sovereignty of God works out um, something very important in the life of Paul something that furthers God's purposes through Paul and really culminates the story of Acts as Luke sees fit. And so we pick up in Acts chapter 19. The Apostle Paul is on what we now call his third missionary journey. He is in the region of Asia Minor, which is the west coast of modern-day Turkey. 
and he is in the city of Ephesus. And this is what it says, Acts 19.21. We read what Paul himself is thinking here and says, uh, Now, after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the spirit to go up to D Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia. Again, you got to know your map. So, Paul is in Ephesus on the west coast of modern-day Turkey, what was Asia Minor then. He's going to travel up by foot north and then sail across into the region of Macedonia, which is north of Greece. And he's going to visit some of his churches there. And then he's going to travel down south to Greece or Achaia and visit the churches there, particularly Corinth, spend some time with them, and then sail on to Jerusalem. So that's what this verse is telling us. Paul's purposed in his heart that here's his travel plans. Here's what he wants to do to wrap up this missionary tour. And then he says this, and then saying... And then after I have been there, that is after he's been to Jerusalem, I must also see Rome. And so at this point in Paul's life, it's around the year 57 or so, maybe 58, Paul wants to get to Rome. He's never been there, and he would love to preach Jesus in Rome. And he knows that there's Christians there, and he's got some connections there, but he himself has never been. And so he intends to get to Rome, but first he wants to wrap up this trip and go to Jerusalem. And the reason he wants to go to Jerusalem, not only to be there for festival season, which is what he's aiming for, but also he's been working on a project over the last few years of from his churches, collecting an offering. There's representatives from those churches that are now traveling with him that are going to deliver the offering. And so he's collected all this offering for the Christians in Jerusalem who are having really a difficult time. There's been some famine and some hardship. And as a show of goodwill and support from his Gentile churches, he's gathering an offering to take to Jerusalem. And so that's his plan. He's going to visit these uh, churches, wrap up this project, wrap up this ministry tour, head to Jerusalem. And then after that, I must also see Rome. The question is, How's that going to play out? How is he going to get there? And Paul probably has a picture in his mind of how he's going to do it. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be there for festival season. I'm going to deliver this offering. Uh, maybe I'll swing back by Antioch. That was his original sending church and see how they're doing. And then from there, I'm going to catch a ship and I'm going to begin working my way across the coast or I'm going to work my way through um, through the kind of the churches he started on the first journey across what is now Turkey and over to Ephesus. And then maybe I'll catch a ship and I'll sail through Corinth and spend some time there. And then from there, I'm going to sail on to Rome. I mean, we don't know exactly the picture Paul had in his mind, but he had a picture of how he was going to get there. And the reality is, is when you read the rest of the book of Acts, Paul's picture probably does, it does not match what happened and how he ended up getting to Rome. But he does get there by the mysterious sovereignty of God. And so keep reading the book of Acts after that verse in 1921. And Paul uh, does make some of those trips. He's in Macedonia. He's in Achaia, Greece. He visits with those people. His plan is to sail for Syria and then up to Jerusalem from there. Uh, and yet there was a death plot on his life. And so he's like, okay, not going to get on that ship because they're going to toss me overboard. So then he decides to go back through Macedonia and delay his trips. And now he's not going to get to Jerusalem by Passover, but maybe he can get there by Pentecost. Um, and so he has to rearrange his plans um, because of that death plot on his life. And then he's beginning to sail from there. Um, and he eventually arrives uh, in uh, Jerusalem after a long uh, sea voyage, gets to Jerusalem and uh, comes to the, the uh, leaders in the Jerusalem church. He presents the offering as was his plan. 
and uh, and as a show of goodwill, they meant they're grateful for that. He mentions some things about his churches and reports in. They tell him how in the rise of Jewish nationalism that many of the people have heard about Paul and how they think he he's this rabble rouser who just discounts the Jewish traditions and it becomes sort of uh, problematic. And so then Paul agrees with him to take a vow as a show of allegiance and loyalty to his people. Well, while he's in the process then of trying to do this, this goodwill gesture towards the Jews and towards his people, uh, in that moment, he gets seized by a mob of angry Jews in the temple in Jerusalem. And uh, being seized by them, I mean, they're, they're, it's kind of mob violence. The Roman soldiers have to rush in and take matters into their own hands. Um, and Paul then shares his testimony as sort of a defense of his actions uh, from the stairway leading into the Roman barracks just out of the temple. Um, and it's just been, it was just kind of a chaotic moment. And then the next day, Paul is brought before the Jewish Sanhedrin and the council. And uh, Paul kind of blurts out his background of being a Pharisee and splits the council. And it, it, there's just all this frustration and chaos that's going on. And Paul's not sure how it's all going to play out at this point. Now, this is not how he pictured things going. Let me read Acts 23, 10 and 11. It says this, And as a great dissension was developing, the Roman commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. So he ordered the troops to go down, take Paul away from them by force, and bring Paul up into the Roman barracks. But on that night, so now you've had all this happening on this particular day in the temple and where there was mob violence, it didn't look good. I mean, it was so violent that the Roman military had to intervene. But on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at Paul's side and said, Take courage, for just as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, you must also witness at Rome too. So the Lord reassures Paul that, no, I, I'm in sync with your plans. I know you purposed a, a couple months ago to get to uh, Rome eventually after you made your way to Jerusalem. I support that. I'm with you and I'm going to help you get there. You're going to get to Rome. And so the Lord reassures him and reaffirms this purpose to, to get to Rome. Well, um, then there was this whole kind of conspiracy amongst the Jews to do away with Paul. So they thought we're going to ask the commander to bring Paul back down to the conference chambers of the Sanhedrin on the way. Uh, we'll take Paul out on the way and kill him. Um, guess what, though? And that didn't sound good. That could have stopped Paul, obviously, from getting to Rome in the providence of God, the mysterious sovereignty of God. Somehow, Paul's nephew was in the room or close at hand and overheard this conspiracy and plan and subversive plot to kill Paul and make it look like they were trying to actually have an official hearing. And so Paul's nephew actually comes and tells Paul, hey, here's what's going on. Um, and, and so Paul then signals the commander and the commander takes Paul seriously. All of this is because Paul's also a Roman citizen. So he has a little bit of some leniency and some privileges that maybe someone else wouldn't have gotten. And so uh, it just so happened that Paul's nephew was in the right place. 
and that he had access to Paul and that the commander took Paul seriously. And so instead of uh, doing what the Jews asked, that night they decided to transfer Paul from Jerusalem to Caesarea where he could be in light protective custody, hopefully be preserved from the Jews, and then they could order the Jews to come and, and bring their case to him down there. So now Paul is shipped out uh, from Jerusalem to the Roman administrative headquarters in Caesarea on the coast. Um, and so Paul is transferred there, and he's put in, in jail there. And here's what happens. Um, while he's in Caesarea... He, he appears, has trials before three different rulers over the course of two years. So, you must also testify in Rome, the Lord assured him. And then Paul sits languishing and waiting in Caesarea for two years and goes through three different trials. The original governor, when Paul got transferred there, is a man named Felix. Uh, Felix was hoping to get a bribe from Paul, so he'd frequently have Paul come and speak to him. And he was trying to use that as leverage to get Paul just to pay me a bribe and I'll get you out of prison. Paul wouldn't do that. And so he kept sharing uh, the truth with Felix in these various trials. And then Felix was eventually recalled by the Roman uh, government because... He uh, was stirring up so much conflict and controversy by his rule in uh, Israel. And so then there was a new governor appointed, a man named Festus. Uh, Paul has a trial before Festus. Festus wants to make a concession to the Jews. So he wants to bring Paul back up to Jerusalem and have Paul stand trial there. And all of that is still part of this death plot from two years earlier uh, when they wanted to try to kill Paul by having a hearing in Jerusalem, they could hide in the streets of Jerusalem and take Paul out um, when he's being brought there. Paul, Paul is suspicious of the whole plan. He knows what's going on. And so because he's also a Roman citizen and not just a Jew, Paul then decides after his trial before Festus that he's going to appeal to Caesar. But Festus is the new governor, and that doesn't look good to have his very first trial on his new governorship be somebody appealed to Caesar. So then... Um, King Agrippa actually comes down and he's a local kind of client king of the Romans who rules a particular region. And so he wants to make goods with the new Roman governor and the Roman governor wants to make goods with him. And so Festus presents Paul's case to Agrippa. Agrippa says, I would love to hear about this. And so then Paul has a trial before King Agrippa. And King Agrippa says, man, if this guy hadn't appealed to Caesar, he, uh, he could have been released because there's really nothing to the charges against him. But he appealed to Caesar, and it doesn't make any sense in this case to deny him that, that right and that appeal. So uh, you appeal to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. And so now Paul is going to get transferred. After two years of sitting and languishing in Caesarea, and now he's going to get transferred uh, to Rome. And he's going to get transferred to Rome on Rome's dime. And not just to Rome in general, but he gets to now be transferred as a prisoner of the state and a Roman citizen at that. So he gets to be transferred directly to stand trial before the emperor himself. And so you must also witness to my cause in Rome, not just in Rome in general, but to the very control center of Rome itself. Somehow, even though this is not the picture Paul 
I'm sure had in mind of how the last couple years are going to go. He probably figured by now he'd already be in Rome after he'd visited Jerusalem. And here he is still sitting and waiting with a corrupt governor who wants a bribe to another governor who wants to kind of soft pedal and make friends with the Jews. And so he's willing to make concessions at the risk of Paul's life. All this stuff gets be, uh, turns out to be used by God to get Paul on a sea voyage to Rome at Rome's dime to stand trial before the emperor himself. God's mysterious sovereignty sometimes doesn't look the way we would expect it to look, but it typically brings greater glory to himself, and um, it works out in ways that maybe aren't always comfortable for us, but if our life is fully entrusted to him, are ultimately for our good and for God's glory. And that's what we see in the life of Paul. Well, Paul now arrangements are made. He is going to be transferred to Rome itself. Uh, all right, finally, Paul's like, okay, we got this going. I am going to get to Rome just as the Lord reassured me and, and I wanted to do. And so Paul is shipped off to Rome and they take a little coastal uh, vessel along the southern coast of modern day Turkey. Then they find a seagoing vessel that sails out uh, further out into the island below Crete. And then from there, they're going to try to make winter on one side of the island. Doesn't work out. They get caught in a massive storm. And uh, for several weeks, they're caught in this storm being blown adrift and it doesn't look good. And there's, there's actually subversion that happens on the ship. There's panicking that happens on the ship. And again, here's what happens. In the midst of this sea voyage where Paul thought, finally, I'm going to get to Rome after two years. Now they're stuck in this uh, the storm and the Lord appears to Paul at, in the evening at nighttime and says to him, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. And so once again, God shows up and reminds him, I'm in charge. And I said you're going to get to Rome. And I'm going to have you stand trial right before Caesar himself, the emperor himself. Um, and so... Uh, the net effect of all of that is they end up being shipwrecked on an island, uh, the island of Malta, in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. It's like, that's not what I had planned. How's this going to work out? And yet they shipwreck on this island. And here's Paul on this island. And he's going to have to spend a couple months there, the winter months, when sailing is not safe anyhow. And they already were shipwrecked. And they're going to have to find another ship heading north to Italy. And so for a couple months during the winter, Paul, as a prisoner, a prisoner of Rome, but in his mind, he's first and foremost a prisoner of the Lord. You can read that in his letters as he thinks about himself. Um, he's a prisoner of the Lord. So here he is on the island, and lo and behold, guess what? The people on the island of Malta are actually very interested in the gospel. And Paul ends up having good standing with those people and spends the winter months doing ministry on the island. And so, yes, we're going to get you to Rome. Yes, you're going to stand trial before Caesar. But first, we've got to shipwreck you on this island because there's people here who need to hear the gospel. And then eventually we'll get you to Rome. God's mysterious sovereignty does not always look the way we expect it to look and go the way we want it to go. Paul, I'm sure, would not have wanted to, uh, had to swim to shore in a ma massive storm and spend a winter on some small island if he could have helped it. And yet because his life was fully entrusted to God. And he saw himself first and foremost as his servant and bound to the Lord's will. Well, the Lord has me on Malta and I know what my, my job is. And these people are open to the gospel. And so Paul spends the winter uh, sharing the gospel on the island of Malta. 
And at the end of the winter months, then they find there's a ship that's heading north. They sail to Sicily, and then from Sicily they sail to mainland uh, Italy, and then from there they uh, deboard the ship. And this is what happens um, when Paul arrives in Italy. Let me pick up in Acts 28, verse 13. It says this, From there we sailed around and arrived at Regium, and a day later a south wind sprang up, and on the second day we came to Petoli, and there we found some brethren, some fellow Christians at Petoli, and we were invited to stay with them for seven days. And then here's the key phrase, And thus we came to Rome. Paul had purposed in his heart long before to get to Rome. Acts 19.11, Paul was wrapping up his journey and he had his whole itinerary set out. It didn't include uh, two years of languishing under Roman arrest. It didn't include a shipwreck on the island of Malta. And yet he arrives on the outskirts of Rome. He finds some Christians. He's welcomed by them. And thus we came to Rome. And so God got him to Rome got him to Rome on Rome's dime, got him to Rome when God wanted him to get to Rome, not on Paul's timetable. And that's the way God's sovereignty often works out. Paul purposed in his heart, I'm sure through prayer and discernment, that he wanted to get to Rome. And God wanted him to get there as well. But God God got him there differently, in a different way, in a different time, at a different point. And in the end, it meant that Paul got to actually stand trial before Caesar himself. In fact, when you read uh, Philippians and some of Paul's writings there, which I think were written during this time period in Rome at this moment, Paul actually says the entire Praetorian Guard has heard the story of the gospel because Paul's been sharing it and preaching it while he's under house arrest. And so Paul has actually gotten to share the gospel and the message of Jesus Jesus as king and the kingdom of God, not just in Rome in general, but at the very heart of Rome, the very control center of Rome. God's, God's purposes work things out in a way that I'm sure as Paul looked back, it was like, I would have never had that opportunity had it not been for all the intervening stuff that seemed so inconvenient and so problematic. I never would have gotten to share the gospel right there in the, the emperor's palace if it hadn't been for everything that happened in between. And that's often the way it is with God's sovereignty. It works things out far differently than we thought, but if we're fully entrusting ourselves to God, far better than we ever dreamed. And that's what happened in the case of Paul. And so as we plan our lives and we orchestrate our lives, my hope and my prayers will be like the Apostle Paul, and we will be fully devoted to the Lord's purposes in our life entrusting our life to his sovereign care. And so even when our life doesn't go the way we plan it out, doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't follow our map and our itinerary and our five-year plan and our goals, and it gets derailed and, you know, there's things that come along that take us off course or at least seem to, uh, that we will fully entrust ourselves to God. And God in his sovereign goodness will glorify his name through us in ways we could have never imagined were it not for his own sovereignty. All right, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible in Life podcast. Pray that that's an encouragement to you as you look over your life and entrust your life to God and his sovereign care for it. Thanks to those of you who make this ministry possible by your faithful support. 
Um, if you want to join the team of supporters, you can do so by going to johnwicker.net, clicking the Give button. It'll take you to a page on World Family Missions uh, website, my page, where you can uh, set up a one-time or a recurring monthly donation right there. Uh, all those donations are received in partnership with World Family Mission, a registered nonprofit that provides financial support and accountability to this ministry. So thanks a ton for your support. May God bless you for it. I look forward to talking with you again next week.